Can machines think? This question, posed by Alan Turing in his groundbreaking 1950 white paper, ignited a scientific revolution. Fast forward to today, and AI, along with robotic process automation, have reshaped productivity and accuracy in data-driven tasks. A pivotal moment came in November 2022 with OpenAI's release of ChatGPT, sparking global excitement about generative AI's potential. In the private markets, fund managers and service providers are keenly exploring AI to enhance efficiency and data integrity while navigating reputational, regulatory, and cybersecurity challenges. I'm Chase Collum, Senior Special Projects Editor at PEI Group, and in this special Spotlight episode, sponsored by Witham, a global technology-driven tax accounting and advisory firm, we explore these challenges in finance AI. Joining me is Colleen Fay, a seasoned tax partner at Witham with deep insights into AI's impact on the alternative investment industry. Colleen, can you tell me a little bit about your experience with AI and sort of what your view is as we enter this conversation? You know, what's exciting to you about AI? I think exciting is we've been talking about it, not so much in that terminology, but at least my background is in the tax compliance area. And we've been talking about things like K-1 reading and like data and form reading for a long time. So to see the advancements that it's made over this time period, and now really everyone's talking about it. It's not just in tax, it's in compliance, it's in fund management, day-to-day things, even really at every level. Um, We've ruled out some things here with them, which I'm excited to try. And I'd say like I've tested the waters a little bit, but you know, anything to make your life a little bit easier on the day-to-day basis, like sending emails, like writing up reports that, you know, have a little more words to them than kind of the bullet point list you're, you know, throwing together. Those are the things that I'm excited to see how they play out and kind of how they develop over time. I think finding ways to take some of the like mundane and repetitive tasks out of the day, even for, you know, the people that I work with on a regular basis, our clients and things like that. So they really can focus on what they enjoy doing or the parts of their job that, you know, they find the most interesting. Because, you know, with every job, there's got to be that one or two things you are like, I wish I didn't have to do this part, but it's part of the job. Um, I think that'll be exciting to see as these things are perfected and more people are adopting them, how you know, everybody's quality of life is able to be a little bit better because they don't have to focus on some of the things that maybe were taking up time and energy that they could spend otherwise. And what's keeping you up at night? You know, what are the challenges from AI from your perspective? The challenges, I think, in every industry or aspect of it being used, it's only as good as how much it's been tested and how much data has gone into building the model. And so, The more people use it, the better it's going to get. But somebody is responsible to make sure that it's being checked so that, you know, you're not just throwing things in there, getting the output and sending it off because it may have an error in it. So those are kind of the, you know, the balance, like the way that it's rolled out and how fast you implement it just to make sure that you're checking for those things on the way. You mentioned people checking the data and still understanding the data. I think about this generation of accountants and tax professionals and how they've grown up in the world of having to spend years of their career really in that rigor of building their own data set, you know, inside their minds. And now we have the AI, it comes in, it makes the job a lot easier, but you already have the experience of, you know, climbing up the ladder and being on every rung of that ladder along the way. And I wonder, you know, is there this point where we still need our people to be doing that level of detail to have that detail-oriented mindset to be able to have the experience to manage these AI platforms. Um, What's your take on that? 
it's funny because we we have this conversation a lot. Like as you have less accountants coming out, what are more ways to be efficient and have automated systems? The problem is if you skip the part where you are the doer and you're actually preparing it and, you know, putting all of the things together and now your task is to review it, like how do you learn how it got to that point? So we talk a lot about that because I think, you know, whether it's automated services or, you know, outsourcing certain things, the package that comes back has to be reviewed, right, to make sure that it's okay. And how do you have the experience to know how to review it? I think it's really more of an issue of training and kind of bridging that gap for anybody that you're going to expect to kind of take on that higher level role, which is is really supposed to be one of the benefits of AI, right? It's not replacing people where everyone's afraid that it's, you know, robots are going to run the world and there's not going to be any need for all of the jobs that we have out there, but more so freeing up your time from doing the data-driven input and things that are less value-added and have more time to do the analytical things, but you have to learn how to get to the analytical part. So yeah, I think that's one of the challenges of implementation of sort of bridging that gap for the people you're expecting to do the higher level things. Sure, sure. Okay. And so let's go back to the other side of things. Obviously, that's a philosophical challenge that I think a lot of people are going to be facing nowadays, you know, and we'll see how that plays out. But let's talk about the technology from a CFO's perspective, from the perspective of the finance function, and especially in the context of private markets. What are the key AI technologies that are being used today that are being implemented in the private fund sector? And then, you know, once we talk about that, maybe can we pick out one or two if you could tell me how they're driving change in the industry? Sure. So I think everyone's very familiar with things like chat GBT, right? That's more of like a large language model using it to ask questions, um, to streamline communication. So sort of seamlessly or making more efficient the process of writing things. And then there's also, you know, process automation. We've talked a little bit about whether that's building bots or different things that are automated processes that usually are data driven and then machine learning as well, like the ability to read through a lot of data all at once and kind of gather and put them into results that somebody else could then analyze. So those are kind of like the three broad areas I think we're seeing a lot of conversation around and how they're driving changes. I mean, I think it's increasing accuracy, even if humans are still making the decisions, you know, kind of compiling the data, it's more accurate, like there's less data input, so less option for error, as well as everything's just going faster. So, you know, the decision-making process is happening quicker. So it's a good thing on the one hand, right? You can, everybody wants to do things faster. At the same time, I think, you know, it's going to drive competitiveness, which overall probably is a, is a good thing for investors, but is, you know, going to create some stress in the market as well. Okay. So those are the focus areas. And where are you seeing AI and process automation being implemented most often in the private markets? Yeah, it's, it's funny. In, in like preparing to discuss all these topics, you know, talking to different clients and things they're seeing. I think it's probably more ha happening more so at the portfolio company level, right? Depending on the industry and where their focus is and, and how they're able to apply it. In the fund context, I would say, I think we see more examples of it. The accounting side of it from, let's say, like outsource providers, so maybe like in fund administration. So where you see a lot of it, I think, is being faster to close the books, right? So information is available, it's processed, it is then shared with investors or whoever, you know, compliance, regulation, all the things that are due with all those deadline that we all have. That is one of the places I think that we see the increased efficiency and just time to comply with all of those deadlines that, you know, everyone is used to within the industry. Our research at PEI Group certainly supports this. 
Over the summer in 2023, Private Fund CFO surveyed 101 private fund management firms for its annual Private Fund Leaders Survey. The study found that 14% of respondent funds have implemented AI tools in their portfolio companies, but fewer than 10% have done so in regulatory compliance and risk management, investor relations and reporting, due diligence and data analysis, portfolio management and tracking, or in deal screening. Can you discuss the role of AI in these areas? Uh, let's focus on regulatory compliance and risk management. Yeah, I think that kind of goes back to like almost like the machine learning and the ability to go through large amounts of data. So for, say, fund clients, they have a lot of investors. There's a lot of compliance with you know, KYC, knowing your investor and their different demographics and things that may require additional reporting or certain things to comply with. And I think you know, the ability for AI to help go through all of that information and maybe highlight where you may have a risk or you need more information just is going to help people be in compliance and reduce the amount of times they may have exposure to some type of risk where they aren't complying but maybe didn't realize because forms changed or you had new investors and, you know, things along those lines. And then looking at the portfolio company level, you mentioned that this is where you're seeing a lot of the implementation and the efficiency gains. What are the primary challenges that CFOs, folks in the finance function, in the private markets are facing, especially around data handling and privacy? I mean, I think that within all of them, really, right, with some of these algorithms and things that are generating, you know, what we're referring to as being automated, um, there's bias and there's discrimination in how it's learning because it's using everybody's uh, input in order to gather all of that, right? So in the context even of, you talk a lot with like legal documents, you know, sometimes within a company that's using that type of tool, like a chat GBT or something with like the large language models, you can't share the information across different people putting their data in there, right? Because it may be only limited to one type of client. And so you can't share across data sets, which I think is definitely a challenge into some a tool like that, that it's not going to be able to grow as quickly, or you're going to have to find certain ways to restrict the pieces of information that really can't be shared between each other. So that's just one of the ways I think we see where there's concern. I think also just having to monitor it, right? Right now we're in sort of the beginning stages of a lot of people using it. And, you know, if you go on and kind of test some of the things that people are rolling out with these ones where you could put in a question and see what the answer comes back. I mean, when you look at some of them, there's a lot of great information there. But even in things that maybe have more computing involved or the way that you're typing in the question, sometimes the answer isn't correct when it comes back, right? So like those are things that like we still need people checking it because we're not at the point that it's been 100% perfected. Like the same way when you, you know, you Google a topic and you get back the first 10 answers, you kind of have to sift through which one is what you're really looking for and is going to kind of answer the question. Yeah, I definitely have that feeling myself using ChatGPT. You know, as a user, it's just really fascinating how you can ask the same question in different ways and it elicits such different answers depending on how you phrase what you're asking and what context you give. So I think it's interesting, especially, you know, being a user of ChatGPT, for example, that, that the large language model, you just don't have any idea what the inputs are, you know? I've heard over the course of the year since that first epiphany of stepping into the generative AI world, this idea of smaller language models and sort of targeted data sets and how those could be really powerful in these instances. So are you seeing that at all or this idea of smaller data sets and bringing power out of those? I mean, especially if you look at silos where you can't cross data over that you just mentioned. Yeah, I think you'll see more of them. Um, right now, I feel like it's still kind of 
all right, what can we get out of the larger ones? What are ways we need to tailor them to have the smaller data sets? And where do you get the data set then? Like how much involvement do you need kind of getting it up and running if it really relies on people using it to kind of keep building it and perfecting it? Right, right. And I guess that's the machine learning aspect of things too. But let's turn to something else that's on everybody's mind when it comes to the tech stack. How can CFOs approach data privacy, cybersecurity, and those issues when adopting these AI and automated technologies? I think, I mean, it's the same way that they kind of view those two things when they're adopting any technology, whether it's AI or any kind of program or process they have internally, right? I mean, there's always the concern over data, even if it's paper or now that we scan things in, right? And then cybersecurity, I mean, Unfortunately, like AI, obviously there's so many benefits. We're, you know, we're talking about them now. We could talk all day long about the things that it could do for you. But unfortunately, just as many benefits, there are people who are using it for bad purposes, right? So I think that anybody that is going to implement some type of AI or automation, whether it's outsourced providers that are doing it or you have something in-house, you know, you have to consider that while you're rolling it out. So making it part of the process of how are we going to implement this and having process and procedures around it? What are you going to do if something happens? You know, like really laying out all of those parameters before you've rolled it out and kind of run into a problem. Something in that that you just mentioned too kind of makes me think if you're a private fund CFO, obviously there's some attraction to AI and its ability to enhance your own team in-house without having to go to outsource providers, right? But then there's this limitation of your own data being only your own data versus an outsource provider having access to a much larger set of relevant data, a much larger cross-section of client types, of business types, maybe deeper penetration of a specific industry where that funder GP might be operating. Now, notwithstanding that issue of having to keep your data in specific silos for specific clients, do you see that being a real driver for outsourcing in the future? I think it depends on the appetite of the manager and kind of like where their focus is. Are they going to have somebody in-house that is the expert that's going to own that, you know, whatever that automated AI program or tool is? Um, versus outsourcing it and kind of finding that right balance, you know, because, you know, we work a lot with emerging managers, right? On day one, they're wearing a lot of hats. Their first focus probably isn't going to be on having their own in-house AI technology. But at the same time, you may have some that are really focused on technology, and that's just something they already are an expert in. So maybe they will. But I think it's very similar to, you know, fund admins, you know, a couple of decades ago, you still had some of the larger shops that were doing self-administration or they had their own program or their own Geneva type system that they ran internally and maybe it was shadowed to the fund admin, those kind of things. I feel like it's the same where they're going to have that cost benefit of do I want to outsource and have more exposure to people who are experts in AI and going to bring me the new technology and, and things like that? Or do they want to keep it in-house because maybe they think they have some type of edge you know, technologically that they're going to be able to keep up with and maintain it internally that would be attractive to their investors? Okay, now let's turn the conversation toward the future here. Can you talk about how AI can transform financial forecasting and strategic decision-making in the private markets? Because, you know, we brushed on this at the start of the conversation, but this idea that we're going to leave data entry and the sort of mind-numbing processes of the past behind as essential as they may be, and we're going to be able to settle into becoming these more strategic thinkers, more creative thinkers, you know, how do you see AI really in the next maybe year, two years, five years contributing to that, that ability to open up the strategic box a little wider? 
I mean, I think it comes down to sort of two things we've been mentioning as one is the efficiency it's going to provide, right? So it's going to allow you to get through so much data and sort of see trends. I think, you know, I was reading something that it would be able to pick out trends in data that, you know, the human eye may not find, or it may take them a long time to realize the pattern that's going on there. So I think that that is just going to provide a lot of strategic opportunity for CFOs who are able to put the data in that would provide those types of trends and then see in order to make decisions that would obviously be beneficial over time. I think one of the examples I was reading was, you know, within the agriculture industry, you know, you don't think about when you're in the grocery store, like how do they have the right supply of X type of product, but it comes down to like things like weather patterns and predicting like when there would be, when's a good time to plant X amount to get, you know, what the demand they think is going to be over the next, you know, one to three years. So those kinds of things I think everything's going to be able to be more precise. So hopefully things like shortages, like we've seen in the past, there would be less where it's a prolonged shortage because hopefully you'd be able to predict or at least see some of those trends coming. Sure. And let's talk about, again, forward looking here. One of the things that I think AI is great, new technologies are great, but how often is it that we've seen where early adapters sort of get nipped in the bud when they've gone a little too far and then regulatory compliance comes in, the SEC comes in and sort of pulls back. So to avoid some of that bud cutting, so to speak, looking forward, how do you see regulations evolving around AI for private funds? So, I mean, I think they're already out there, so it shouldn't be a surprise that there's going to be something that eventually is in place, you know, to try and monitor compliance and I just think looking at it as far as there's going to be something that requires you to focus on the protection of the investors, right? So whether it's transparency, some type of testing and validation of the data, ensuring that there isn't a bias that you haven't realized with the data that's being input into the model um, that's sort of driving decisions and you didn't realize that it was maybe missing a critical piece of information, you know, and avoiding any conflicts of interest, which you would need to have some type of support for how you ended up getting there. So it's great if all of these tools are here for you to have data at your fingertips, but if you can't still kind of show your work on how did we get to this decision, I think that that's something they're going to focus on. So, you know, more around being able to be transparent despite having all these tools that make things quicker and, you know, show a little bit less of the work, but like, what is it all based on? And then one last question I wanted to ask you and, this is sort of your opportunity to turn outwards towards the market as your clients, prospective clients or folks in the industry that you're facing it with them are looking at these technologies. What would you challenge them to think about? What would you say would be the mindset that they should have and sort of principles that they should apply as they move forward thinking about AI? I think it kind of goes back to like a cautious implementation or rollout, you know, where can they be using it? So not completely missing the opportunity to bring it into their portfolio or their fund management, but also in doing so, making sure that they're cautious about it, right? So they're checking it. They're not just letting it kind of run on its own and, you know, sort of like everything in moderation, you know, seeing how it plays out and making sure that, you know, you're informed on the one side and you're kind of monitoring on the other. Great. And anything I left out here that you think we should be talking about? think so. I think we've really touched on a lot of it. I, I think it'll be interesting to see sort of how this 
I almost say like first phase or kind of everybody testing the waters. I saw something recently that said we're moving from like the exploration stage to now more of the implementation stage. So we talk a lot about it and I was sampling a couple different clients as I was speaking to them, like, how are you thinking about it? It really does feel like it's a little bit more at the portfolio company level right now. And that's not even in every industry. So I think seeing in the next you know, you said one to three years, I think it's going to happen very quickly, you know, as opposed to when you think back to new technology that came out, I was watching a documentary about, you know, BlackBerry versus iPhone. And like when that all kind of transpired, like that wasn't really that long ago. Um, so I think something like this is going to move very quickly. So it'll be exciting to see over the next even six months to a year, kind of where people are at as far as using it and in their day-to-day -day lives as well as their, you know, professional lives. Okay. I know I was just about to end this interview, but I have to dig into that. You know, this idea of technology taking our jobs, of robots taking over the world, it's one that we just can't seem to shake as a culture, whether in the form of Skynet or some other singularity. There is a collective fear of technology going too far. The phrase doom and gloom comes up a lot when people talk about AI. But I've really been thinking a lot lately, you know, about is technology really the big bad that's coming for our jobs? Or is it an engine for the creation of a whole new class of jobs that didn't even exist before? There was a two-year study by MIT's task force on the work of the future. And they concluded this study in 2020. And they said that about 63% of the jobs performed in 2018 didn't even exist in 1940. So we're talking about these huge numbers of new opportunities, and I'm, I'm given hope that we're actually maybe we'll see more jobs, better jobs that come with a better quality of life created alongside AI, you know? And even it's things that we can't quite imagine. So you have to hope that they're going to be there because, you know, if you were, what'd you say, 60 years ago, a lot of the jobs didn't even exist yet. So like we can't even imagine what they might be. So trying to see that as an exciting positive and not necessarily the doom and gloom that you mentioned. Well, hopefully we can chat again in a few years and see that there's been more exciting, positive technological leaps in the industry and less doom and gloom. Thanks again so much to Colleen Fay from Witham for joining us. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or check us out on any of PEI Group's various titles online, including privatefundcfo.com. I'm Chase Collum. Thanks for listening.